everyone. I am Mark, and it's great to be here with you this evening as we continue in our journey, uh, Nuclear Family Source of Power or Destruction. It's been, so far, at least from my perspective, a, a really enlightening uh, series, a lot of great conversations just about this idea. Is there a biblical theme that transcends time and culture when it comes to the family, when it comes to just being a man in this culture, what it means to be a, a woman in this culture, and then this evening as we really talk about what it means to uh, be parents and children in in this culture. Now, uh, I, I understand that a lot of people in this room are, are neither parents or children. So you might think, all right, well, you know, I'll just kind of kick back tonight and everything that's not really going to apply to me. Well, there you would be incorrect. Uh, that, that it actually directly impacts you. Not, any, not in just the sense that it is important for us to kind of understand how, how the biblical family works, but the reality is that the church exists as, as standing in the gap of a broken and messy culture. And no longer do we live in, in a world where, or the world really has never been where family is perfect and, and, and where there are gaps in the family when there is brokenness. This is the place where the church needs to step in. This is the place where, even though you may not be a biological father or a, or a mother, you may not be a biological parent, the church is the family of God. And this is where we step in and we say, you know what, I'm gonna, I am going to be a spiritual parent in this gap. That I'm going to stand where, where uh, things have gone wrong and I am going to be the hands and feet of my Savior and the mouth and the love in a tangible sense to this person. And that happens all the time. So when we're talking um, this evening and I'm talking about, about maybe just kind of a what we would instantly in our mind's eye say, oh, he's talking about a biological parent or a parent that's adopted a child into their, into their home. I'm really talking about something much larger than that. I'm talking about something that affects us all and how we really take on the spiritual role in people's lives and the impact that, that it can make. And, and, and in reality, our mandate as avatars, as icons, as people who are made in the image of our Father in heaven, to be able to stand in the gap where the world has, has fallen short. So that's where we're going tonight. Uh, yesterday, my son Boo, uh, this is his nickname, Eric, and I got to do something that we'd never done before. And uh, every so often I'm doing something and then later I realized that I was living a metaphor uh, about something that God is trying to teach me. And yesterday was one of those instances. My son, Eric and I, Boo and I, uh, we, we entered and, and participated in our first cyclocross race. Now, if you don't know what a cyclocross race is, basically, it's a combination be uh, between road racing and mountain biking. And you go and it's, it's an off-road race where you basically you do laps. And in 
during these laps that there are, there are all sorts of obstacles. So here's a picture of Boo before getting ready. He's got his red-eyed jersey on there. And, and these guys that he's about, this guy's all happy, right? Uh, about, about, about to start the cyclocross race. Well, a cyclocross race, one of the things is it's, it's designed to, to uh, stop you. There's lots of pitfalls. And here we have a picture of Boo coming out of a pit, pushing his pushing his bike. There's, there's also like hidden traps and, and obstacles and here Boo is like stepping over that obstacle and there's also kind of like bogs that, that you have to go through. There's Bush, uh, Bush, uh, Boo pushing his, his bike through the bog. Now I realized this morning that I don't have any pictures of him actually riding the bike in the race, but that's really typical of, of a cyclocross race. In fact, uh, there's, you're spending a lot more time uh, picking yourself up off the ground or pushing your bike than you're actually riding the, riding the bike. And in my experience with the race, it, it was really interesting. Uh, uh, people ask me all the time when I'm going to race, it's like, you know, what's your goal in the race? And I always say to win. Like, I never have any, I've never won a race, but it's my goal, you know, who knows, someday, you know, maybe I'll win, so I, I want to do the best I can, I want to win the race, and so I started off with these guys who uh, were way more experienced than me, considering this is uh, the first time actually I'd ever been on an off-road bike, or ever ridden an off-road course, so they were way more experienced than me, they knew what they were doing, uh, most of them, you know, had you know, the right equipment, which I, you know, I had some borrowed equipment and that I was grateful for, but it was just kind of, I was out experienced, outmatched, you know, equipment wise and, and all this, but I still thought, you know what, you know, I, I know how to ride a bike and I do it a lot on the road and everything. So, you know, I'll give these guys a, a run for their money. So, uh, you know, it starts off and everybody goes off and I'm riding my bike and riding my bike and uh, around the first corner into some soft dirt, uh, I go around the corner and, and uh, I use my front brake. Now, if you're a mountain biker, you know that you're not meant to do that. That's something I learned once I was picking myself up off the ground the first time. And then I uh, was kept on going and, and, and crashed again. And I crashed again. I crashed actually three times on, on the first lap, which was not stellar. And, and, uh, and so going along on that, and I... I decided, you know, okay, I need to recalibrate my expectations, right, of what this day is going to look at, look like, because I had another hour in front of me of, of riding and, and everything like that. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to kind of settle in and ride within myself. And I'd like to tell you that once I did that and got riding my own, my own race, that everything went well and I actually caught everybody and won the race. I'd like to say that that would be a complete lie. Uh, actually, uh, I was able to do a little bit better, uh, but I, I did still have uh, many short uh, uh, kind of uh, close calls and things like that. And then uh, on one of the uh, few, one of the few uh, laps to the, to the final, I actually hit that bog and, uh, and I went down. I don't know if you can see, but I'm completely covered in mud. That's my shoe. I lost both my shoes in this in this bog. My whole left side of my body is completely black with with organic material. It was by a, uh, a cow pasture. So uh, for the rest of the race, I got to realize that I was having a, a nice treatment there. So uh, 
you know, as I as I recalibrated everything, you know, I I I, I realized, you know, maybe my prize is not going to be on the podium, but you know, maybe you know there'll be another prize, and and I finished the race, and, and part of my prize was uh, my wife gave me some Advil, and she gave me a kiss after I showered, and and that and that was nice. But, but the other thing was that I realized that God had taught me a lesson in this cyclocross race. And here's something that's true about cyclocross. Cyclocross is hard. It is full of pitfalls, hidden traps, and bogs, all lying in wait with one goal. And that is to prevent you from completing the course. And you know what else is hard? Parenting. Parenting is hard and you can say the exact same thing about parenting as you can say about cyclocross races. The parenting is hard is full of pitfalls, hidden traps, and bogs all lying in wait with one goal, to prevent you from completing the course. It's just true. And that is true for biological parenting or just, you know, adoptive parenting. And it's also true for those of us who are part of the body of Christ part of the church. So this week, uh, I want to start the conversation about what does it mean to be a parent? What does it mean to be a spiritual parent in the church as well? You know, knowing that, that you know what, it is our calling to, to raise up the next generation. And to begin our conversation today, uh, uh, we asked four people to sit down in front of, of the camera and talk about kind of from different perspectives. What is this idea between being a student or, or what does it mean to, to be a child of God or a child of somebody and being parented? And also, what does it mean to parent uh, someone in the, in the sense of of uh, trying to lead them closer to the heart and mind of God. So watch this with me. Um, my ideal uh, movie character that defines uh, you is probably Mickey Mouse. Maybe not the most creative one, but uh, Mickey's just always happy. He, uh, he's always happy to have everybody around. He's, one, he's got the youth and enthusiasm. I think the ideal son and daughter would be um, someone who is loyal to their friends. What's loyalty without trust and what's trust without loyalty? Selectively reflective. And kind of what that means to me is uh, taking the good parts about your parents and letting that shine through for uh, some of the negative things. And uh, taking the best of the world around you and letting that shine out rather than the negative stuff. So that's what I would describe as the ideal son or daughter? I think one word that describes the ideal son or daughter would be really helpful, not only doing everything they can to help their parents, but their friends, and overall helping their community as well. Okay, I'm trying to think. So like being raised in Episcopalian Church and like not really reading the Bible versus coming to this church and reading the Bible, it gave me a lot more of a grounded foundation. You know, like, and I don't know what parent wouldn't want their kids to have a grounded foundation like, you know, reading the Bible has been able to get to me. My brother is one of my role models. He's very smart and funny, and he always is teaching people things. He's hoping to be a science teacher, so he's kind of perfect for that. Um, 
and I and I just I get called him a lot. And that always makes me feel really good because I'm some people think I am my role model. You know, thinking about biblical standards, you know, how I measure myself as a daughter. Um, you know, I work in measurement on a daily basis, but this is something, it's really tough, you know. Um, and so I have to think about it in a way like, you know, when I come to the end of my life, what do I want, what do I want people to say about my Christian walk? Um, and I think that will reflect what my standards were. And, you know, if anything, I want them to say, um, you know, I was brave like Esther was. Or I was faithful uh, like Job was, even through whatever stuff or curveballs came my way. Um, or that I was just obedient like Jonah. You know, he, he went somewhere where he didn't want to go, and he didn't like those people. And, and then he didn't like, you know, when, when they accepted God's word, but yet he still went and was obedient. Um, you know, I want to be known to be generous, like the widow, and who gave her everything. And so when, when I think about these biblical standards, um, they're very, they're targets, you know, or things we aim for that are not necessarily easy. They're simple when we talk about them, but they're not easy. And, and it definitely, I think, is going to take a life journey to get there. But that's really... Um, sort of how I measure myself. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a journey and it's a constant thing that you're constantly having to stay close to God. Otherwise, you start missing the mark. And, and it's, it's not a, hey, I can check this off the list. It's a, I need to keep doing this. I need to keep praying and being in community and worshiping and learning how God created me um, so that I can be more of who God created me to be. I really uh, appreciate what they were talking about. There's so many different aspects of, of multi-generational teaching happening. Shana talks about just the progression um, and this idea of there, there is a, a line for children of God uh, that reaches all the way back to the beginning and it will stretch all the way to uh, Christ's return. And that the great news is that we all have the opportunity to participate in that story of God. You know, I was really struggling and, and working and just mulling over this, you know, this centralized question of this series. This idea, is there a biblical kind of uh, view that transcends time and culture? And as I read the scripture and prayed uh, just preparing for this evening. You know, I really uh, felt like there were these three things that were reoccurring themes in Scripture that we're going to talk about this evening. And those three reoccurring themes are, are this. Protection, instruction, and commission. You know, you have these three things that happen again and again and again throughout the story of God. And it's true, again, in the, you know, the kind of the, the immediate family. And it's also true in the family of God. You know, I like, if you take the first three letters of, of protection, instruction, and commission, you, you come up with the acronym PIC, 
you know, we all, you know, like to take pics and, and sh you know, and, and Twitter them and, and I'll tweet them, excuse me, that was incorrect use of Twitter uh, terminology, and, or, you know, post them, you know, this idea that we're given a, a, a pic, a picture of really what it means to, to be a mentor, to be a spiritual parent, to actually be a parent, uh, and, and having that, that sacred role in someone's life. And that is to, again, to, to protect, instruct, and commission. And the truth is that you're never done with, really truly done with any of those. And there's never a time that you will cease to protect one of your kids or someone that you're spiritually in charge of or, or mentoring. You always have that protection eye out for them. You know, there's always additional instruction and and, and happening, and then you know what? We're always you know going to commission and, and encourage the people who who God has entrusted to us to take that one more step. You know there are no hard lines, but there there are definitely distinctions, and I think that you know even though we weren't ever done with one and we move on the other, that kind of realizing that there are these different areas that you may emphasis more than at other times. You know, if you open up your Bibles into Matthew 23, uh, Jesus is talking in verse 37. And I've always kind of read this scripture a little bit differently than what he is talking, uh, 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 than what we're talking about tonight. But I think it's extremely relevant. And, and, and Christ is really talking a lot about to who we are and what a lot of us are experiencing. So Matthew chapter 3 and verse 37, Jesus says this. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. And now look. Your house is abandoned and desolate. For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And in Matthew 23, verse 37 through 39, Jesus is really painting a picture of a hostile world toward faith, right? I mean, think about it. What's more hostile than the, the city, the culture, kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. And that's about as hostile as you can get, right? And then he goes on, and, and it's interesting that Jesus has this, this instinct, this holy instinct of protection. He says this, he wanted to gather the children together as hands protects her chicks beneath the wings but then he adds on, but you wouldn't let me. This hostile culture, this, this, this culture that was hostile to, to children and hostile to, to people who are following Christ, they, they wouldn't let this protection happen. And he says, as a result of that, their house is abandoned and desolate. Because of their, their really their 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 viewpoint and, and and their actions and their hostility. You know, I 
believe that, you know, we see here that he finishes off and saying, because of this, you will not hear from me again in kind of this spiritual lost generation. Again, this was over 2,000 years ago, but I think it's so relevant today. I think that we actually have a, a, a picture of what happens when, when a generation ceases to protect, instruct, and commission. And all we have to do is to look at Generation X, my generation. We're known as the lost generation. We're known as the angry generation. And I think a lot of this, and this is Mark's commentary, but I, I have a lot of friends, obviously, who are Gen, Gen Xers. I think that, that our generation became Generation X. I think that our generation became the spiritually lost generation because... Our parents and our churches chose prosperity over protection. I just flat out believe that. You know, in, when Gen Xers were coming up, sociologists started coming up with new terms of the change in culture. The changes that were cult in culture happening, they came up with terms like latchkey kids. These are kids who would come home from school and the parents were not there. They came up with terms like quality time. And what's quality time? Kids need quality time, but they need more quantity of time. There's just something magical that happens in the mundane when families are together. And I, I look at this, and, and I look at, at where the church is today. I look at where our culture is today. And, and I think that, that Jesus has this prophetic kind of... Uh, uh, he's given this prophetic message that has happened again and again in culture that no generation gets a generation off because when we take a generation off, the next generation loses. And that's why it's so important for all of us who are parents and those of us who are spiritual parents to take our responsibility seriously of this idea of protection, instruction, and commissioning. Now, this idea of, of, you know, instruction, it takes a lot of different ways, and, and we're going to talk about some of these biblical ways that, that God envisions instruction to happen. You know, there's not a whole lot of, you know, classroom setting that, that, that spiritual instruction happens in, in, in Scripture. It happens organically. It happens in the midst of conversation. The prophet Joel, in, in, in chapter 1 and verse 3, he writes this. Tell your children about it years to come, the story of God. And let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. And those of us who are children of God, that, that we are part of that, of that spiritual heritage that, that goes from the beginning and it will go to the end. And maybe, you know, well, definitely we weren't there at the beginning and possibly we won't be there at the end. But we are crucial in the story of God. If you turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is an amazing scripture, I think, that really just talks about our responsibility as parents and our responsibility as the church. In fact, there's about nine mandates in kind of this, in this structure that we're going to talk about that are things that we are called to do. That those of us who are followers of Christ, that we are mandated 
to do. Starting in verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. And we have the first you must statement. If the Bible says you must, you should listen because it's probably important. Okay? So just a little seminary trick there. Uh, so you must obey these commandments in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Okay, this idea they're about to go into the land of milk and honey. They're about to go into the land of prosperity. Remember what I said about Generation X? That I believe Generation X became the lost generation because parents chose prosperity. Culture chose prosperity in the decade of grief, the 80s. That parents chose prosperity over protection of their children. And here we have with the Israelites about to go into the land of milk and honey, to the land of prosperity, God is saying, hey, you know what? Before you enter into this prosperous time, you need to hear something. And number one, you must obey these commandments. And then he goes on, he says, and this is not only for you, but this is also for your children and grandchildren. You must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. And again, that word fear doesn't translate very well into uh, our, our uh, language. You know, it's not like uh, God's, you know, in a slasher movie or anything like that, right? That this idea of fear is a reverent respect of understanding that God is God and we are not. God is the creator and sustainer of all things. And that God has a plan and we may not see it, but God is holy. God is perfect. And he says this, if you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy it a long life. Then in verse 3, he says, listen closely. You know what you do? What you should do when the Bible says listen closely? You should listen closely. You know, it's just, you know, it's simple kind of things. And there's key words that, that are going on. This is not a hearing thing. I know a lot of you, you know, you hear. But there's a difference between hearing and listening. And we're saying, look, listen closely, Israel. And be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you. And you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The God, our God, the Lord alone. So, again, we have this spiritual heritage, right? Our, our, our spiritual family tree being threaded down and connecting and we are connected with it and they are connected with us. And then he goes into his next in verse 5. And you must. Another you must statement. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and your strength. Jesus reiterated this statement, right? In the great commandment. Saying you must holistically love God and love others as yourself. That this is central to the story of God. And then he goes on, and you must <coughs> commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving them to giving you today. You know, this idea that, you know, not only hearing, but listening and a commitment to living out what it is in this life to holistically love God and to love people. And then this is 
This is really cool. Then he goes into the teaching element of how, how we become spiritual mentors, how we become spiritual parents, and, and our responsibility to our children if we have adopted or biological children. It says this, repeat them again and again to your children. You know, this is how we learn. This is how we learn the values and beliefs of our family. You know, next or this Thursday is, is Thanksgiving, right? And many of us are going to be with family and aunts and uncles who tell the same story every single Thanksgiving, right? And, and you know, at the immature, they roll their eyes and, and they're like, oh, you know, Grandpa, really, again, do we have to hear the story about how, how you know what, you guys didn't have any food in the Great Depression? And, and you guys, you know, you had a Thanksgiving where, where basically, you, you know, you killed a chicken and, and, and whatever. You know, whatever the story is. But in those stories is life. And those stories are, the, are your heritage. That, that tell you about where your family came from. And that, that, you know what, even when things were hard. That this was the greatest time of bonding and closeness in your family. And what God is saying is like, look, spiritually, we need to repeat again and again and again these, these generational stories that tell us that God was faithful in the, in the hardest times. That God showed up and he was there. And we add those stories to our Stories, and we tell our children, and we tell our grandchildren. And that heritage, the spiritual heritage that we are all part of continues. Then he continues on and says, talk about them. When you are at home, and when you are on a road. When you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. When you are on a boat, when you are with a goat, Sam, I am, right? You know, what, you know, what's going on here that we have this, this, this thing? You know what? It's not always in a classroom, you know, setting. In fact, most of the time, most things that we know and hold true happen in the quantity of time that we spend together, in the quantity of, of just conversation, the stories and experiences that, that come together. And we try to weave, those of us who are spiritual parents, those of us who are parents, we try to weave in the story of our lives the overarching principles of what it means to be a princess or prince of the King Most High. Next month, we are going to be going down to Frenchtown. Pastor Dan was talking about that. And these are stories that we, we tell, that, that we say, you know what, we're going to do this because, you know what, this is how our family tangibly is the tangible hand of Christ in, in, a, in, a, in a marginalized section of our city. People who have been told that they do not matter. That we can go in and say, that is a lie, that you do matter. You matter to God and you matter to us. And that is why we are here, because we want to see you live out the vision that God has for your life. And then goes on and says this, tie them to your hands, again, talking about the commands, and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and of your gates. Now, this is a very cultural thing. 
and uh, for, for the people of Israel, and they did things like that. But the idea is putting these things in front of us, making sure that we have these reminders of what we are about. You know, over there we have our values as a church uh, done by, you know, presented in graphical form by different artists. That we have symbols around here to remind us about the Great com Commandment and the Great Commission. That we have these different symbols that, that are placed strategically around so we are reminded when we see them. And then we move into this, this idea of commission. You know, when we've protected well, and when we put stability, that we have built stability in a place where we can instruct. And once we've instructed well, we get to that point where we get to commission. And it's hard to know. It's like, when, when do you commission? You know, when is the time that you, you know, basically kick a kid out of the nest? Or, or when is the time where you entrust, you know, someone to do a little bit more? And I think that there's this beautiful question down uh, in verse 20, that, that is a key for us as, as spiritual leaders and as parents. In the future, your children will ask you, this is just a continuation in Deuteronomy of what we've been talking about, of, of teaching these commands and, and having these symbols around us. They'll ask, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? This is the coolest question. And of course, you know, probably somebody's not going to ask the question that way. Maybe, you know, somebody will post it on Facebook or, or tweet it or, or text you. Hey, what does this great commandment mean? What does this holistically loving God and, and loving others yourself, what does that mean? And these are the exciting questions. These are the questions that, that should trigger in our mind, aha, it is time to commission that they have finally connected, that the, that the information, the instruction that they are receiving is actually for something. And that is to be a blessing and an icon or an ambassador of God in this hostile world. And if go down to verse 24, we'll just finish with this in the commissioning idea. It says this, and the Lord our God commands us to obey all these decrees and fear him so he can continue to bless and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. Verse 25, for we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. You know, we've talked about this idea of you know, what does it mean to be a spiritual family and, and, and how does that look? And each week we brought up the nuclear kind of our atom graphic. And, I, you know, I, we talked about, you know what, for the, the family of God and a biblical family, Christ is at the center. In that the, a man or husband or father revolves around that center, a, a wife, uh, a woman, a mother, revolves around that center. Children, you know, revolve around that center of Christ. That Christ is always the center. Now I want to leave you guys with a challenge. This is my challenge. Transcend kind of where you may be 
and intentionally pursue and ask yourself the question, you know, in my family, in my immediate family, and in my church family, what is my responsibility? How do I protect my family? How do I protect my community? How do I build stability in order that instruction can happen? How do we create an environment that is safe for people to make mistakes? You know, my, in my family, in my immediate family, you know, all sorts of stuff happens all, all the time, you know, that are mistakes. We're not perfect, but it's a safe place to make mistakes. And that has to be translated to our church, that this has to be a safe place for people to make mistakes. That they're not, they don't have the fear of rejection, but they know that they can make mistakes here because they're going to receive instruction of how better to be a follower of Christ. So how do we as a community do that here? How do we make stability and protection just the norm? And then how do we Instruct. How do we repeat the things of God? How do we keep in front of one another, you know, these ideas, these, these God-sized ideas and His commands and His decrees to us to live abundant, triumphant lives? How do we do that as a community? And then what does it look like to commission people in the name of God? No, there is no generation that gets gets a pass. Just, we are only one generation away from the church being devastated, our families being devastated. We, it is our time and it is our place. And we have to engage, we have to protect, we have to instruct, and we have to commission. Because the stakes are too high to do anything else. You guys pray with me. God, I just am struck with just kind of what's going on in the world. And I know that for a lot of us, our instinct is to recede and retreat and protect and just kind of protect ourselves and not worry about anyone else. But God, I pray that we can transcend the culture and that we can, we can build a safe place in our families and a safe place here in our church. So true instruction can happen. And not instruction just for instruction's sake, but instruction that leads to commissioning the next generation in our rich heritage of being called your princesses and princes. We love you, Lord. Jesus' name. Amen.